Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 353 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast, presented by Overdrive. This is Adam, joined by Jill. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. Sorry, I should have given your proper your proper title. Uh, twice published author, Jill Grunewald. Okay. Hello, Jill. Hi. Uh, you should have like an air of like, mm, yes, I'm um, a memoirist now. Not just written a memoir, now you're a memoirist who's done multiple. That's not what that means. I know. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm gonna keep doing it. I'm gonna keep doing it. Um, I would have been a memoirist with the first one. I know, but is a, yes, you're right. I don't know. <laughs> uh, everyone, you will have not appreciated much as I did, but as Jill has said in the past, you're very bad at self-promotion. I'm terrible at self-promotion. <laughs> and so we have we use Slack at our office. And so in our team Slack, I finally, Jill, told our team, like, hey, everybody, I wrote a book. Um, it's out today. You should go check it out. And like I responded. I was like, thank God, because if you hadn't done it, I was going to promote you for you just to make sure the world should know, especially your, your, you know, your coworkers. That you're Whatever. An author. Our CEO didn't realize you had written a book until like a year after the first one had come out. Okay, that's true. Yeah. I'm just saying. So go check out Joe's I've book. I've at least told him about this one. I don't know if he actually remembers, and I've told him. He probably does, because he famously tells us all that he never reads fiction, so he probably will actually read your books. That's true. Oh, true. I really want Steve to read your books. That would be so funny to me. I am bringing a copy for him. Like you should. Steve. You should. sign it. It's library stuff. Yeah. He loves library stuff. He does. He gives away the <laughs> Susan Orlean book to every librarian he meets. I know. We were at ALA, and I opened the cabinet. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> He does this whole like adorable speech where he's like, every librarian should have their own copy of this book, which is very charming and uh, it's true. But if you open our booth, you just see stacks and stacks. There's stacks and stacks. I feel like Steve's half the reason that Susan stayed on the Narratives Bestsellers list as long as she has, because Steve bought like a trillion copies. Um, Anyway, none of that is today's episode. (laughs) No, it is not. Do you want to tell people what today's episode is all about? Sure. So today's episode is an interview I did with uh, Lisa Tadeo about her book, Three Women, which is getting tons of buzz. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've talked about it. I talked about it in the July book pick episode. um, And I talked about it. I was reading it a couple months ago. It is fascinating, utterly, utterly fascinating book in which... um, for a decade, Lisa Tadeo moved her family around and sort of um, became very close friends with these three different women in different parts of the United States and got to know their lives, specifically their sex lives. Um, and so one of them is a married woman who's having an affair. One of them is a married woman whose husband likes um, knowing she's sleeping with other people. And then the third one is... Um, a teenage girl who allegedly had an inappropriate relationship with her high school teacher who went on to be like teacher of the year. And then she comes forward to talk about this and it is the town kind of turns on her. So um, the book is, I will warn you, the book is graphic, mm-hmm. um, but it needs to be. And she does not hold back. And so when I got an advanced copy I think I finished it in a weekend <laughs> and immediately came in then on Monday and, and emailed the publisher. And I was like, I need to talk to her because I have so many questions about the book and the process and, um, the women in it, especially, um, the, uh, the high school student. I mean, she's an adult now, but I mean, you know, they, she uses fake names and pseudonyms for the others, but you can look up all that information about Maggie and, um, 
and everything that happened and, you know, just like the bravery that comes with coming forward with that yeah. again <laughs> after it. Um, yeah. So it, it was a really great conversation, um, finding out about how it worked and how she found the women. And I highly, highly recommend the book. Like I said, it's getting a lot of press and a lot of buzz for very good reason. So yeah, I was glad to have the opportunity to talk to Lisa about it. And I'm sure you guys will all have thoughts on it. And if you do, you can find us on social media at Pro Book Nerds on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can find our website, professionalbooknerds.com. I'm guessing we may have some new listeners because were you on Reading Glasses this past week? Do you know? I know you did an interview with our I friends. Did. I did. I'm Bruce. actually... But at the time of this recording, I'm not sure if it's gone out yet. Okay. Well, if you are listening to us because you heard Joe on Reading Glasses... Hello. Go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com, where you can see all of our 352 previous episodes. Don't try to listen to them all at once. That'd be crazy. Um, and just skip the first few, because... For the love of God, don't listen to the first few. We, as proud as I am of our first few interviews, we did not know anything about sound. It always reminds me of um, the movie Zack and Mary Make a Porno, where the, I have a point. They'll get to it. it I know. Um, at the beginning, there is a part... Where the guy has, one of the guys has really long hair and he's like supposed to be the hottie from the high school. And he's like, yeah, that's like before I knew anything about proper hairstyling or hair care. That's how I feel when I talk about our first few episodes. I'm like, it's before we knew everything you had, anything yeah. about proper sound or yeah. sound quality. Yeah. Don't listen to this. Um, yeah. Okay. Is there anything else you think people should know about? No, I think that's it. Awesome. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this interview with Lisa Tadeo on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi everyone, this is Jill and with me today is Lisa Tadeo, a journalist and writer. Her work has appeared in the Best American Political Writing and the Best American Sports Writing Anthologies, along with publications like Esquire, Elle, Glamour, and New York Magazine. She's also a winner of the Pushcart Prize. This July, she has a book out called Three Women, which I have to say is unlike anything I've ever read in my entire life, and I read a lot, so that's saying something. Um, <laughs> Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. So can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to Three Women? Sure. Um, it is a true story of the lives of three real women across the country who um, I followed for over the course of about eight years and um, uh, interviewed them, but also just sort of hung out with them while they were experiencing uh, various points in their emotional and love lives and it's um it begins with uh the first woman is named lena she's in suburban indiana and she um, finds herself in a stuck in um 10 years into a a passionless marriage with a husband who no longer wants to kiss her on the mouth and a couple therapist who tells her that that's okay that the sensation offends him and that lena has to accept it the second woman is named maggie and she is a young woman in Fargo, North Dakota, who, as a high school student, had an affair with her, allegedly had an affair with her high school English teacher. And um, the book picks up with her in the aftermath of the trial that shakes her quiet community. And the third woman is Sloan, who is a glamorous entrepreneur in the Northeast who owns a restaurant with her husband. And her husband likes to watch her have sex with other men and women either in front of him or she can tape it and send it to him. And 
when I met her, she was trying to figure out where his desire ended and hers began. As I said, um, when I read this book, I was just utterly blown away because you just the story of it and um, the writing. And I immediately wanted to interview because I had so many questions for you, starting with what made you want to write this book? So um, for the most part, oh, it was it's twofold. Um, the first was that uh, my editor, Simon and Schuster, um, had read a story I wrote for New York Magazine and had taken me out to lunch and asked me, um, told me he wanted me, would like me to write at something about something for book length and what what sort of subjects interested me, which was both a really freeing and wonderful thing to say to someone and also completely crippling because <laughs> to have that much sort of uh, license to just think for oneself, especially when I was, you know, uh, about a decade younger in my early 20s. And, um, and it was, it was very, it was crippling, but also really cool. So that was the first part. The reason I, um, I, I went towards uh, this subject was because uh, the editor, Joe B. Ferrari Adler, uh, sent me a bunch of books that he thought I would like, um, nonfiction books by people like Janet Malcolm and Tracy Kidder and George Packer, and among the book, and Joan Didion, and among the books was um, Gay to Lisa's Thy Neighbor's Wife. And I, in case you are not familiar, it's about, um, it was sort of taking the pulse of sexuality in America in the 70s and 80s, and there was a lot of swinging, um, and, you know, Mr. Talese was a, a big part of the research of the book. His his person mm-hmm. was a big character of the book, and I was really, you know, it was I found it intriguing, and I also um, was thinking that nobody had since really done that sort of a deep dive into the world's desire and sexuality, and I was young and dating in Manhattan and I was very you know sort of my friends and I were constantly talking about um, dating and love and analyzing why someone had not called back or you know etc so for all of those reasons I just uh, I just really was attracted to the idea of of kind of cataloging where we were at with desire in America sounds very sex in the city (laughs) but Um, as you, you know, talked about when you were, uh, describing the book, you spent sort of eight years, I mean, almost a decade of your life kind of, um, immersing yourself in the lives of these women. How, how did that all work? I mean, how did you find them? How did you move around? You know, that's just so interesting. Um, thanks. Well, it was, that was the hardest part of the process. Um, it was, you know, when I first started out, I, like I said, I was in New York City. Um, I, I was taking trips to places and to meet people that I thought might be interesting. One of the first places I went to was the Porn Castle, and well, I think it was um, referred to as the Porn Castle in the Mission District of San Francisco. I, I don't think it's there anymore. And, you know, I was watching people having sex with machines and people masturbating in front of laptops for someone on the other end who was paying by the 15-minute interval. Um, and it was really fascinating, but I also I also realized that I didn't really want to talk uh, to t- write about that sort of the mechanics of sex at book length, and so I, I wanted to find the acts behind. I mean, sorry, the stories behind the acts, and 
that's what drove me to, um, I started out by driving across the country once and I met a doctor in Indiana who was performing these hormone treatments on women who were like losing weight and feeling newly sexual in their new bodies. And I was really intrigued by that. And it was also in the same basic area as the Kinsey Institute. So my first move was to move to Indiana to um, get out of New York City and my, you know, limited worldview there and get into someone else's. And that was where I met Lena, the first woman, by forming a discussion group in her town in Indiana. And for the rest of um, the women, for the rest of the people, I, I wasn't really set on doing women only at that point. I was talking to hundreds of people, and I would just sort of go and meet them when, you know, sort of a, I had a lead from either a lawyer or a doctor, or mm-hmm. an editor, or a fellow writer, just whomever I thought would understand what I was looking for. Um, and I drove across the country posting signs up, uh, like on slot machines and casinos and on um, salon windows and post offices and just like everywhere that I thought I was going to maybe like the person that was going to, you know, be the person that was everything I wanted for this book would find it and miraculously write to me or call me. Yeah, you uh, you mentioned in the introduction, I think it is how you had followed for a while you were talking to other couples or other women and then they eventually sort of backed away from the project um probably because they didn't you know were afraid their anonymity would be um that they would be identified so what you know like what made maggie lena and sloan want to commit to um risking that um you know i i don't I don't really know. What I can say is that certainly in the um, in the instances of Sloan and Lena, there was no quote unquote upside to talking to me, um, which is why I think that you know the bravery um, and certainly Maggie's bravery for um, you know for coming forward with something that you know a lot of people that she'd been sort of you know strung up in the press mm-hmm. and in the courthouse for doing. I think that their bravery and kind of um, just doing it was, I, I think it was for the larger good of other people. And so, like, one of the reasons I wanted to write about this is so that people would feel less um, alone in, in their desires and, and pain. And, um, and I think that that's one of the reasons why, you know, each of these women did it. And I'm really grateful to them, like, every day for doing that. No, I, I agree. And I think it's interesting, um, you know, as you said, to to help people not feel so alone because you write about these women um, and their desires and their sex lives in a very graphic way, which is very unfamiliar to most readers. We don't really read about women, real women in that way, but these are stories that women are living across the country. They just aren't having their stories told for whatever reason. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you're sort of bringing to light these instances and relationships of being, you know, transparent and helping those readers feel like they're not alone. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely a pride motivation. And in terms of, um, you know, the sort of the, um, the way that I portrayed sex and the fact that I wanted it to be in there in a certain real manner was that 
you know, I think that, but for Lena specifically, I think her, her section is the most um, explicit, I guess. And the reason for that is that I think Lena was finding herself mm-hmm. in these moments. And so I wanted to really accurately capture that. And also the way that women, you know, the way that these women and the way that I've certainly experienced it myself, the experience of, of sex, I think, for women is... Sorry, I have a cold. It's um, is very different. Um, you know, there's a lot of sort of... Um, there's a lot of looking inside during it. And that was what I wanted to show, the way that that worked, the sort of, you know, you're not just, it's not just the physical presence, it's this other, these other thoughts that you're having in your brain. And I think that's one, you know, one difference just biologically speaking between the way that um, women and men experience the same act. Right, and sort of on that, um, when we, you know, Generally speaking, um, it's we're not used to seeing a woman's sexuality through the gaze of another woman, like a, a woman writer. It's so often it's sort of the male gaze that we're used to seeing through and, and we experience these things through, which I think is also important why it's so um, that a woman wrote this and, and you could handle that subject matter in a way that makes sense and kind of balances things out. And yet... The male gaze just still sort of pops up in these stories, whether it's Maggie's teacher or Sloane's husband. And like the effect that has on the overall story is it just continues like <laughs> there's really no way to escape yeah. it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is that, you know, it's it's um, and I think it's, you know, it's the male gaze in these stories. But I think it's it's the gaze of whomever is sort of in control or in power in any um, given intimate relationship. And, uh, you know, that's why I was sort of interested in writing about um, these people who were somewhat in the um, in the act of being gazed at. Mm-hmm. Um, whether, you know, I just find it, um, I find it, you know, and the male gaze is something that, you know, I, I think it's, I, you know, whenever I watch, TV and television and movies, I'm always looking for, hoping that there's a sort of, you know, um, a female gaze that is, you know, without being um, silly, because I think that a lot of, when people flip the, the male gaze and, like, have females looking at men in certain ways, it's it's kind of, um, it can be cartoonish and not really realistic. So, um, you know, I think it's important to show the female gaze in a way that's real and not just like, you know, turning the male gaze on its head and going, oh, this is women looking at men. But it's not really the way that, you know, heterosexual women look at heterosexual men, for example. Right. One of the of the three, I think the one that interested me the most was Maggie's story. And I think because you you definitely capture her in these two different phases of her life, you know, there's. Um, talking about the experiences allegedly with the teacher and then the impact that has had on her as an adult. Um, and I admit that you talk about, again, I think in the introduction, how Maggie, the character, like not, not characters, the people, like those are their real names unless they were underage. And so I admit I totally Googled her. And that, yeah. I mean, that's just so... I don't, that's so brave of her, I think, to come forward in that way and to be open um, 
and able to have this story continue to be told? Yeah, I mean, it is, so, and that's, you know, that was one of the concerns with, you know, I mean, we all Google everything. And, you know, one of the things that Gay Talese told me when I, I met him was that, like, I, I had to use real names. And I think that that stunted my um, ability to find people for several mm-hmm. years of, of the project because I was kind of intent on doing that. But I think the, the, cha- the, the thing is when he wrote his book, it was, you know, 1980, there was no, you know, Googling, there was no, um, and now it's just, it's so easy to, um, to not just, uh, you know, um, to not just see someone on the, but sort of like go through all of their social media and understand um, all of these different things about him, and, about them in like minutes. And so that, you know, for Maggie to do that is, yeah, I mean, it's hugely brave. It is, you know, it's just, it'll, you know, it, it'll bring her story to a much larger audience, which I think on the one hand is really great, because I think, you know, she deserves to have her story heard, which I don't think was ever heard, not in the trial, and certainly not, you know, in the local news reports mm-hmm. that um, that accompanied it, because, accompanied it, sorry, because I think a lot of those were skewed in, um, you know, the teacher's direction, and there wasn't a lot of neutrality, and what, you know, what I thought was important about telling Maggie's story was telling her story and her, like, version of events that, um, you know, I think is is vital. And, yeah, so the bravery in doing that in, in a world where you can Google someone's name and, and see all of these different aspects of them is I, I will never, you know, I will never not be grateful for that and for what she's done for so many people who have already read it and have told me that, you know, her story has helped them deal with something that happened to them in the past, you know, et cetera. Right. And because that's her real name, she's sort of um, risking all of that coming back again, sort of the the negative backlash um, because anyone can kind of find her, which I think adds an extra layer of, of bravery there that she's willing to put herself out there again. Totally. Um, which does actually, so how much when it comes to um lena and sloan how much um changes yeah because i you talk when i've been to uh where sloan lives like in the book and i was like this is a really small town actually i feel like there's enough here that people can figure out if they live there like they could figure out who she is i'm I'm curious how much was changed for their characters um you know some certain locations and I mean certainly the names were changed um, not really supposed to go into what was changed oh obviously very that. little <laughs> was changed yeah no I'm just I know I'm just saying like legally um, right. because then that you know opens yeah. them up further too but um, yeah I mean very little you know the stories are completely you know everything that happens happens there's no changing of that right. um, yeah so you know there is there's definitely a danger of that, of, you know, their identities being uncovered. And it's something that, you know, keeps me up at night. And, um, you know, I, I don't know um, how much it would affect or harm each of them, each of the two women who aren't named. But I, you know, I consider I consider the worst possible scenarios, and it just makes me completely, you know, horrified. Um, so I hope that that doesn't happen, but at the same time, you know, I hope that if it does, that people are not, you know, that people recognize the incredible amount of bravery and just the sort of, like, 
you know, honesty and coolness to, to, to give of yourself in a way that might make other people feel less alone, mm-hmm. um, is I think, you know, is my hope. Right. What was the writing process like for this? Were you kind of, because you spent, you know, again, almost a decade following these women, did you, were you always writing kind of along the way or were you taking notes and then pieced everything together at the end? How did that work? Yeah. So, um, so it, you know, it, it shifted a lot, but for the most part, it would be that while I was um, interviewing one woman, I would, I would be, you know, either looking for the next subject or, um, you know, or, or if I wasn't, if I already had the next subject, I would be sort of taking notes, hanging out with that person during the morning or the afternoon or the evening, whatever time that they were able to give me or whatever time was something that would be interesting for me to see. And then the other times that I wasn't with them that day or that week, I would be writing from my notes about the woman or the person who had just come before that. Okay. I'm curious if any of the women have read the book yet and what their reactions have been. Um, Two of them have, and their reactions have both been positive, and um, and they felt that it was um, very, you know, sort of true to their stories and to the way that they felt, and and they were really happy about the way that I captured them. And some of, you know, for one of them, it was very difficult to read about certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, So both difficult and positive, and I guess in the end, you know, they felt that I had honored their stories and um you know that made me feel good but it's definitely you know it's definitely not I don't think it was easy for any of us right right because I imagine even as a writer it wouldn't have been easy or like easy for you because you have these women sharing with you these very intimate details about their life and and trusting you with that and that feels like a lot of pressure yeah it really is and was and it continues to be um and, you know, I mean, it's hard to write about real people at any level, and it's almost impossible to write about real people in the realm of desire and love when, you know, everything is sort of, like, like just stripped down mm-hmm. to our core. So, um, you know, to that end, I, I think that, um, you know, I just think that, uh, yeah, it, it was, it's impossible. It's, it's, there, it, it's something that, you know, I didn't really know it was happening as it was happening. I think that if I had sort of like known the way that it was going to happen, I don't know that I would have, you know, continued. I'm not saying <laughs> like I'm happy that the book is the book and I'm happy it's here. And I feel like a lot of people are feeling really heard and seen by it so far. And that makes me feel really like, you know, satisfied and like, um, you know, like something positive that's hopefully happening to for some people because of it. But yeah, I mean the the sort of emotional cost for me and and what I worry about being the emotional cost for the women is definitely something that you know just keeps me up at night. So at the end of all of our interviews, we have something we call the Nerd Nine, which are nine <laughs> lighthearted, rapid fire. Don't put too much thought into them, okay? Okay. What is the Sounds last good. book you finished reading? Um. Uh. Um, Lucia Berlin, Evening in Paradise. Favorite place to read? Uh, 
outside with um, with food and a glass of wine. What book made you fall in love with reading? Um, I, you know, I think Stephen King, probably The Stand. That's a good one. What uh, place <laughs> would you like to travel to that you haven't been to yet? Um, in Africa, the whole the whole continent, the whole thing. but specifically. Um, Specifically, uh, gosh, there's an actual place that I, um, it's in, it's in Zimbabwe, but I don't know the name of it, but it's, um, I'll, I'll, whatever, it's Zimbabwe. <laughs> I, I put you on the spot, it's okay. Um, your favorite, <laughs> your favorite holiday? Halloween. Coffee or tea? Coffee and tea. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Favorite food? Um, uh, sea urchin sushi. And if you could have dinner with one person dead or alive, who would it be? My dad. Finally, Lisa, what would you like readers to take away from reading Three Women? That desire is universal and that the best thing we can do for each other as human beings is not to judge, um, is not to judge how something has hurt us and what hurts us and what makes us happy. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.